0: There we go. It's good to see everybody here. Uh, we are on our last message on Rooted Deep, Growing Tall, the book of Colossians. We spent nine weeks in this little four-chapter book, and we are down to the end. We are we are finally to the end, and, and we're going to see some, you know, the end, a lot of times Paul writes a farewell, and, and we're going to look at this a little bit, and a lot of people skip over it, but we'll be digging into that today. Um... But nine weeks, next week, we'll be doing Palm Sunday. After that, we'll be doing uh, Easter, or Resurrection Sunday. I don't really like the word Easter too much. I like Resurrection Sunday. It just really puts the emphasis on what we're really celebrating. And then we have baptism. Then we're going to do a revival Sunday. And then we'll be opening up the book of Philippians. And we'll be studying about 12 weeks through the book of Philippians. So get excited. Start reading Philippians ahead of time if you like. Um, get prepared because we will get digging deep again. Um, and uh, it's a great message, a great series. I've, I've uh, preached on Philippians before. It's one of my favorite books out there. So uh, I look forward to preaching through that book. Um, there's an old legend, an old story that speculates on what happens after Jesus ascended to heaven. So Jesus re- dies on the cross, he, he uh, resurrects, and then he spends 40 days, and then he goes to heaven in what they call the ascension. And so there's this old story, this old kind of myth. It's a fictitious story. It's not true. We don't know for a fact, at least. But it's, a, it's an interesting story that kind of describes a, a conversation that happens in, in heaven with Gabriel, the archangel, and Jesus after the ascension. And it goes like this, it, t- it says, uh, Gabriel sees Jesus, and, he's, and so he goes and approaches him and says, Master, you've suffered terribly for humans down there. And Jesus replies, yeah, I did, I did, you know, I, I, I took, <laughs> took a beating. Gabriel says, you know, do, do they know about how you love them and what you did for them? And Jesus says, some do, most don't. At least not yet. Right now I have a handful of people that I've told and that witness it, and they know, but eventually it'll get more people will know about it. Well, Gabriel looks at him kind of perplexed, and he says, well, what have you done to let everybody know about your love for them? Jesus explains, well, I've asked my followers to tell others about me. Those who are told will in turn tell others. My story will be spread to one person after another. Ultimately, all mankind will hear about my life and what I have done. Now, Gabriel, looking at him a little skeptical, he says, well, yeah, but wait a second here. Jesus, he says, well, what if Peter and James and John grow weary? What if the people who come after them forget? What if way down the line, the centuries later, people just don't tell others about you? What happens then? Do you have any other plans? And Jesus looks at him and says, no. I don't have any other plans. I don't have any plans. I'm counting on them to do it. Now, Jesus' plan has not changed from 2,000 years ago to today. It hasn't changed one bit. His mission was always to seek and save the lost. Has always been there. That's his plan. That's what he's always came to the cross for. That was his whole mission. He laid down his life for, to pay the penalty of our sin. He declared in definite terms that he is the only way to heaven. John fourteen six. he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can see the Father except through me. And so there's an exclusive, uh, exclusiveness that he says. And, and this is his whole mission, is to bring people to a relationship with Jesus. That was the, his message, and that was his mission. That's why he came. See, Jesus said his mission is also our mission. His mission, to bring people to, to salvation, to save the lost, was his mission, but he also said it was our mission. He told his followers, as the Father sent me, I also send you. His parting words were, go, make disciples of all the nations. The Bible insists that his plan is simple. Faithful people are to teach others about Jesus. It's simple. It's that simple. These people then turn or teach other faithful people who will in turn tell others and so on and so forth. I remember years ago, I was, uh, I was in Amway. Anybody remember Amway? They're not around too much anymore. They've had some issues. But, uh, but I remember learning how to, to kind of promote Amway and sell Amway. And we had the circle diagram. And say, look, you know what? If you buy this many products, you'll get these many points. And then you, get, you teach your people to teach that and so on and so forth. And you have this, what some people think is a pyramid, but it's really not. It's just a, a network of people. Well, the same thing's true here. You tell one person about Jesus, and they get saved, well, guess what? They go tell another person, they go tell another person, and chain reaction happens. This message of Jesus spreads one person, one family, one church at a time, across the street, across the miles, and across the centuries. This message is about that, that message of Jesus. And how we are to do this simple plan. We are to live a life on mission. We are to live out Jesus' mission here on earth. You and I are a product of this plan. If you, if you think about it for a minute, you and I are a product of this plan that happened two years ago, or 2,000 years ago. Not 2 years ago, 2,000 years ago. My, I, I have a stepmother who is godly, who loved me enough to tell me about Christ. My father was only saved for a couple years before he died, or a few years before he died, and he prayed for me every night and for me to come to Christ. It was at his funeral that I felt the Holy Spirit, and then it was a few months later that I rededicated my life to Christ. It was because of teachers and preachers and evangelists and, and people like my stepmom and my stepfather and my, my real father that all loved me enough to care enough to share this gospel truth to me. Now think about your life. Somebody shared the gospel with you. You didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to be a Jesus-following, Bible-thumping, God-fearing person. No, somebody told you about Christ. Somebody told you about Jesus. So somebody in your life has done that. Every one of you is part of this 2,000-year-old chain reaction because of a few men that started out being faithful to Christ, and sharing the gospel. Like generations before us, we received and we pass it on. That was Jesus' plan. See, unchurched people need a pastor. Unchurched people need a pastor more than church people do. See, you guys are already saved. You guys already have the Bible. You already have an opportunity to grow. You already know these things. It's the unsaved that need the pastor the most. A pastor is not called to perform the work of some religious organization and keep us alive our pastor is called to prepare you believers into maturity and ministry that is my job my job as a pastor is to train you up to teach you to go out and share the gospel to teach you how to disciple others that is my job and together you and I are called to go out and bless the world with this wonderful thing called the gospel we're not called to just stay inside the church and bless each other. I mean, I love you guys. I really do. I love this church. I love being here. But we're not here to serve each other. We're here to serve the community. We're here to share the gospel. That was the plan. And if a church is to be blessed, is to bless the world, we need to get our lives on mission. We need to get our lives on mission. So let's take a look at Colossians chapter 4. Verses 2 through 15, it will be up on the screen. Starting in verse 2, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open, the, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of what, of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of our time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now this name right here, I've struggled with this. I'm going to do a little rabbit trail here. I looked this up on my Greek dictionary, and I tried to say this name about a dozen times before I got here Sunday. So I'm going to screw it up anyway. But it's supposed to be Tukikos. That's how you're supposed to pronounce it. So I'm going to mess it up again, so watch me. Uh, Tokikos will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant to the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has happened has taken place here. Erotokos, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow, brother, or fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in, in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness, bear him witness, that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and in Aeropoli, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nifa and the church in her house. Let's pray. Father God, as we open up these words, as we, we open up the scriptures here in Colossians, Father God, open our hearts and our minds to you. Teach us what you would have us learn. Guide us. We ask the Holy Spirit to be here right now so we can grow in grace and knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison, and he didn't know exactly his fate. Uh, we know later that he was going to uh, die, but, but he, he wasn't in prison because of a violation of his faith. He, was, uh, or, 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 I'm sorry, he wasn't in prison for a criminal violation. He was in prison for a violation of his faith. He was in prison because he was sharing the gospel, and the people didn't like it, so they arrested him. Now, the people that he's listed in these verses were Christians whom the Colossians knew. These were familiar names. People knew who they were. They've met him. Some of them were following Paul after they were already in Colossus before. So these people had firsthand knowledge of who these folks were. And these Christians were God's church serving outside the walls. They are people that were, instead of staying in Classe or in Ephesus or wherever they were going, wherever they were from, they went out into the community and shared the gospel and traveled with Paul. They were people, they were church members that went outside the walls of the church. And they serve as a model for us to be. They're, it's a great model for us to follow if we're going to be a church that wants to live on mission and get outside of these walls. When I first came here, we talked about that quite a bit. We want to get outside the walls. We want to get in the community. And, we, and I, I drilled you guys on questions about that and how serious you were. And this is, the, this is going to be some, some things, some tools that we can look at to do that very thing. Because I know your heart is to get out into the community. I know that. So these are some steps that we're going to learn and we're going to look at these folks and, learn, uh, and see their example. And the first step we want to look at is God's church needs to pray for opportunities in others. God's church needs to pray for opportunities in others. See, in the very beginning of the text, in chapter 2, it talks about this fervent prayer, or in in my version it said something about steadfast prayer. And it's talking about just praying diligently. And that's something that's a great starting point. That's the first thing we should be doing is praying for others and opportunities. Anybody can do that. Everybody can do that. Every Christian is expected to do that. We pray because we we love people. We pray because we want our, our brothers and sisters, our biological family, to come to Christ. We want our parents to come to Christ. We want our cousins, our children to come to Christ. We do this because we care. We love them, so we want to pray, and we need to do it fervently. We want them to accept Christ, and that's a challenge. Anybody that's ever done any witnessing, it takes a while. The average, they say, is about 40 times of hearing the gospel before somebody actually accepts the gospel. So if it takes 40 times, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of gospel presentations. And it's a challenge that's bigger than ourselves, because you know what? When somebody comes to Christ, it's not because of the great wisdom or great words that we use. It's because the Holy Spirit has convicted them and led them to accept God has revealed himself to them through the work of the Holy Spirit. So that is way bigger than us. And the mission is still God's mission. So we pray because we care, and that task is bigger than us. And without his help and power, no life can turn toward heaven. And we also need to pray for, um, with, a, with a certain amount of devotion and, and seriousness, we need to pray with diligence and perseverance because, you know, we shouldn't be a part-time prayer warrior or just on Sunday mornings when we, when we do a, a few different prayers throughout Sunday morning. No, we should be praying throughout the day and every opportunity we can. Anytime you think of something, you pray about it. Prayer needs to be effort or have effort and perseverance because praying is not easy. You know, we can do... All kinds of stuff, very easy. Some of you guys are really good at math. You're math guys. And you can whip out some hot, complicated equations and probably do it like that. And me, I would struggle for probably years trying to figure it out. But you can do it. That's easy. But you get that same person, you get down and pray. Oh, wait a second here. This is challenging. This is hard. See, it's so much easier to do other things than pray. Most people can do anything easier than pray. To really pray, you have to work at it. And when we pray, our eyes might be closed, but we're trying to be aware of the Spirit. We're trying to engage in the Holy Spirit. We're trying to be aware of the needs of our community, needs of the people we know, needs of our family, needs of others. And we're trying to watch out for answers. How do I reach this person? How do I share the gospel? How do I bring up an opportunity to, uh, to help this person in need? We watch for interference from our adversaries so we can make sure that we're fighting against him. We also want to prayer in this, in this verse that talks about pray with thanks, thanksgiving. We need you to have a, an attitude of gratitude for the fact that we get to pray to the living God. We're not just talking to ourselves. We're not just asking for things. We're not asking for our bills to be paid. We're praying To the living God who has given us the privilege of talking with him. We're so thankful that God hears us and responds even before we answer. He gives us our answer. He responds before we even know. That's why when I encourage people to journal, write your prayers down and flip through once in a while and look at the prayers that have been answered because we have a tendency to forget. So you look through and you go, look, I can't believe that prayer got answered. I totally forgot I prayed that. Our text tells us what to pray for. Of course, we are going to pray for ourselves, that's normal, and we're going to pray for our kids and the close people in our proximity. But Paul goes, takes a step further. He says, I don't want you to pray with this limited view of just the things that you need. I want you to pray bigger than that. He responds to the Colossians and says, Pray for us too. He makes it clear that, pr- that the prayer he's asking is not about him as much as it is the mission. He says, pray for an open door. He said, pray for an open door to share the gospel. Every Sunday morning when I go to closing prayer, one of the things you'll hear me say, is, says, Lord, give us an opportunity to share your word with somebody this week. That's where that comes from. Pray for an open door. Pray for an opportunity to share that gospel. Pray for clear preaching and teaching. So when somebody does come, I have the words that will reach them. These words I don't just write, I get it from God, I study, and I ask God to reveal them. That's all part of our mission, to pray for an open door and pray for clear preaching. See, evangelists, missionaries, church planters need our prayers more than money. Being out there in the community, being out there on the mission field, being missionaries for Christ is more difficult than anything else you can imagine. One veteran missionary compared it to the mission field as uh, declining down a dark mine shaft. And he goes to his church and says, I'll go down, I'm willing to go if you will hold the rope. You will support me through prayer. That's what we do when we pray for our missionaries. To complete our part in Jesus' mission, we must believe personally in who Christ is. We need to believe in the mission. We need to pray fervently. And we need to have that prayer consistent in our life. If you look at verse 5, it says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Be wise in how you do it. That means walk in the walk. When you talk about being a Christian, you talk about having a strong prayer life, you need to walk that walk. That's what he's talking about here. Be wise in the way you act toward other people. Ultimately, our lives pay the way for our words. Have you ever heard that phrase, this phrase, what you are speaks so loudly I can't hear what you're saying? Have you ever heard that? Or how about this one, actions speak louder than words? How about that one? Or how about walk the walk, don't talk the talk? See, that's what it's talking about. That's a great phrase of what he's talking about. You know what? Don't just talk about prayer. Pray. Be careful and be wise in how you interact with people because you know what? They're going to be looking at you. Evangelist D.L. Moody says this, "Every every Bible should be bound in shoe leather, meaning walk the walk. See, God's church should not just be fervent in prayer. We also need to put that in action and step out. And we see this in the characters that Paul is talking about in these verses. He brings up quite a few people. And we see, when we look a little closer than the surface, we see that there's some people, that and we can see that, the, that Paul is pointing out people that stepped out in their faith. There's a Chinese proverb that says, A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. As God's church is to move out, we need to do that physically, not with words, not with flyers, not with handouts. You know me, I'm a techie guy. I love uh, marketing stuff and marketing materials, and I gave you guys some stuff to hand out. Those are all great, but if we just put it in our books as a bookmark, our Bibles as a bookmark, it does no good. We have to talk to people, we have to get out and step out in our faith with the gospel. We need to take our ministry to the unchurched rather than expect the unchurched to show up here. We can hand flyers out all day long, and nobody's going to come to church just because they see a flyer. Actually, I should say that. Rarely will they come. I have had people come because of a flyer. Richard Halverson, used to be a chaplain for the U.S. Senate, wrote this. The work of the church is outside the establishment, outside the church, in the world. And it takes every member to do it. Nowhere in the Bible, I love this part, nowhere in the Bible is the world exhorted to come to the church but the church's mandate is clear we must go or she must go to the world i never thought about it that way in all my studies that that it never says the mandates for the people to come to church it always mandates for us to go out there whether we look at abraham in the old testament or the disciples of the new testament god's command is clear God's blessing must go out from the believers to the unbelievers, not that the unbelievers would come to the believers for the blessings. So practically speaking, we must begin to see ourselves as pastors in our neighborhood. We are all ministers of the gospel, every single one of us. Now some of us are called to be deacons, some of us are called to be pastors, but all of us are ministers of the gospel. The unchurched need a pastor, and only you could be their pastor. I know that's shocking, but only you can be their pastor. Because you know what? I don't know these folks. I can't do it. I don't know your neighbors. I don't know your coworkers. I don't know your staff members. I don't know these people. So how can I reach, let's say there's about 35, 40 people. Let's say there's 40 people here, and the average of four houses, five houses around you that you can probably reach. What is that? Do the math, Robert. 200? I'm, I'm up here preaching, so I don't... I can't think and preach at the same time. 200? 200, 200 people. 200 households. I can't reach that, but you can. You can go to these folks and you can minister to them and you can be their preacher. You can be their pastor. You can, show, you can minister to them. Chuck Swindoll noted that God's church is the only organization in the world that exists for non-members. Serving within the church is important. I'm not, disclo- I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that serving the church is not important. I'm saying that we are a church family and we need to take care of each other. And I will say that over and over and over again. But we exist as a church not to serve ourselves, but to serve the community. We need to step out if we're going to function as God designed his church to function. We have to step out. So we have to pray fervently. We have to step out. Step three is God's church needs to serve God. It needs to serve God. Now, we see this in, emphasized in Tychicus, or whatever his name is, in Epaphras. To serve God is different than volunteering. See, you can volunteer in a computer lab. You can volunteer in the nursery because you love kids. You can volunteer doing the multimedia because you love computers and graphics. You can, you can volunteer at mowing the lawn because you love to be outdoors. You can volunteer and all kinds of stuff. You can volunteer at a hospital. Gary Wallace used to volunteer or I think he still does. Volunteer at the hospital all the time. That's a wonderful volunteering opportunity. Nothing wrong with that. But there's a difference between volunteering and serving God. When you serve God, you go where God wants you to go. When you when you volunteer, you pick and choose where you want to volunteer. There's a difference. Tychicus is noted to be a fellow servant of the Lord. In verse 8, Paul's clear that he's sending him to Colossae. He's sending him to give testimony of what's going on. He's not volunteering. Paul's clear in verse 8. I'm sending him. So welcome him. Epaphras is noted to be a servant of Christ Jesus. He wrestled in prayer for the Colossians to become mature, and he, and he struggled with it. He wanted them to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And he struggled with it. His heart was broken for them. And he wanted them to grow. And I don't know too many who volunteer to pray for others unless God impresses it on them. However, I know a lot of people who choose not to pray even though God commands it. Are you getting a sense of the difference between serving God and volunteering yourself? There's a clear difference. As we serve God, we don't dedicate or we, we do not dedicate to God what we are willing to do, or where we're going to do it or who we're going to do it by. When we serve God, we go where He wants us to go. We do whatever He wants us to do. We don't question it. We don't say, "Well, I don't want to do that." We do wherever He goes whenever He tells you. No matter what the rewards are or lack of rewards, God determines what we'll do and he prepares us for such service. Look at Ephesians. Uh, actually, this will not be up on your screen, so you might want to look it up. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Prepared in advance for us to do. So he's already planned as believers in Jesus Christ for us to do good works. He already has a plan for you to do good works. He already knows what he wants you to do, but we need to have the attitude to serve him. We need to be able to say, you know what? I will go wherever you want me to go, Lord. Serving God is doing what he has prepared in advance for us to do. That's step three. Step four. Step four is God's church needs to sacrifice itself. God's church needs to sacrifice itself. We see this in particular of um, Aristarchus and in Luke. Paul described this guy, this Aristarchus, as a fellow prisoner. And when we look at Acts 19, we see that this guy was actually ministering and sharing the gospel, and he was arrested and put in prison for sharing the gospel with the Ephesians. So here's this guy who's going out and he didn't worry about his well-being. He, he just wanted to serve Christ. And he went and like Paul, he sacrificed his freedom, his reputation, and his own life because he ended up dying for spreading the gospel. Paul mentions Luke, the doctor. Dr. Luke, he's taking care of Paul. We look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. It talks about Luke being by Paul's side all the way to the end. He could have left at any time, but he stayed there till the end ministering to Paul. While Demas, on the other hand, was unwilling to sacrifice and he eventually left and said, this is too much. I can't handle this. This is too much. I'm out of here. While Luke stayed and continued ministering to him until Paul died, was martyred. Luke's a doctor. He could have done anything he wanted. He could have had, a, you know, great practice. He could have built a wonderful practice, could have retired nicely, had a nice uh, a nice. Ranger boat. I saw a nice ranger boat yesterday. I was drooling over it. He could have had, you know, a, a quarter million dollar a year salary. Could have had a big, nice brand new boat and a nice full size Ford truck. He could have had it all. He could have done this. He could have gone to church every Sunday because you know what? He's, a, he's, he's got a Monday through Friday job. He doesn't have to come to, he doesn't have to work the weekends. And, and you know what? And he goes on these elaborate vacations because, you know, he's a doctor. He can do that. See, he could have done that, but he decided to leave his practice and go minister and follow Paul for the gospel. Now, you might be saying, well, that's Luke. You know, that's, we read these stories in scripture and we say, you know what, that's not reality today. That was then, this is now. People just don't do that. Who in their right mind will go to medical school and then turn around and give up a practice, a lucrative practice? Who would do that? Who's willing to give up their nice job that makes them six, seven figures a year to go on the mission field? Who in their right mind would do that? That's crazy, especially in our day and age. We got bills and medical, uh, our bills to pay, and who's going to take care of the medical insurance, and how am I going to provide for my family? How's it going to happen? And you might say, no, nah, that doesn't happen. There's no way people do that today. I'm not, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, there's no way I would do it. That's great for them, but there's no way I would sacrifice my house. Well, I wanna, we're going to watch a, a testimony video of a, a young lady who's the modern day Luke. Her name is Lisa, Dr. Lisa, um, and she's practicing medicine still. Um, take a look at this video.
1: I first decided to become a doctor when I was 16, I believe. And um, I was applying for college. Was I going to follow my father's footsteps, which is electrical engineering? I gave it up to God. He just showed me certain signs that said it's going to go to medicine. It took me four years of college and four years of medical school, and then um, God directed me to family practice. I wanted to be a missionary. I knew that God was telling me that I needed to serve um, people. I, I just had a passion for people of other um, cultures. And so I imagined myself in another country, actually. When I was in residency, um, our Mosaic started to do um, small trips to Ensenada with groups of eight, um, 12. Our small group would go down and we would just serve a family um, in the poorest or poor neighborhood. Then we had this mega trip and we had a medical clinic. The patients, after you know treating them, they would just open up their lives to us. They would start to share um, their hurts and their pains and their, their fears and they were so open spiritually and we felt that this was like the perfect opportunity for someone to share Christ with them at that point. Pastor Irwin, he went down there with us on that first uh, big trip and he said, you know, why are we waiting to serve once a year or twice a year on these mission trips? Why can't we serve, you know, where we are and do what we're doing down here, you know, in L.A.? So, uh, through a series of events, God enabled me to start open this clinic uh, in the heart of East Los Angeles. Health professionals are not, like, running to start clinics in East Los Angeles um, because... It's not a place to make big money. The payers such as um, Medicaid or Medi-Cal are very poor and it's very difficult to make a lucrative practice in that area. So per population, there are very few doctors. East LA has a population um, under the poverty level, um, mainly I would say approximately 80%. There was so much need and I wanted to open up a a clinic to serve these people um, with medical attention um, and great, competent care um, in, a, in a nice environment, but also offer them Christ as well as a means of healing. It is quite dangerous to be in El, El Sereno or East Los Angeles. There's a street right behind our clinic that's known for a lot of heroin use and um, a lot of gang violence. It was a very difficult time when I was working um, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, having um, to come home and my ch- child was already sleeping, and it was hard for my husband. I didn't really even see it happening, but he had to pick up my daughter, feed her, bathe her, and put her to bed, and then I would get home. Sometimes it felt like I didn't really have a life of my own. My life was just for, for my patients. There are nights when I can't even sleep because all of a sudden, all the stories of all the patients are coming back to me. And so I just kind of break down and pray for each one of them just very deeply until I can get peace. I get offers um, almost daily saying that you can make this much money, probably double or maybe triple of what I make and even work less hours, not be on call. I think what keeps me going is um, just my love for people and my love for medicine and also to see um, lives transformed. I know that God wants me here now and I'm, I'm, I'm happy here.
0: What a great testimony of somebody that's willing to give up a fancy career. I mean, she could have done anything, especially in L.A. There's doctors' offices everywhere. She could have gone into plastic surgery or something and and made millions. She could have been a a surgeon, made millions. She could have done anything. But she followed God. She served where she felt God was leading her. She didn't volunteer. She went where God told her. And And God started opening up doors for her. And now... See, and did you see the end? She goes, you know what? I keep doing this because I love people and I love medicine. God put her in this place. It's not about money. It's not about, about what, we, what we can achieve in this life. It's not about our, our status. It's about serving Christ above all else. Now, you might say, wait a minute, you know, what a, what a waste of talents. What a waste of talents and opportunities. You know, she could have gone and done this big practice and then donated extra money. Like, you know, if she becomes a millionaire. She could have donated half of her income toward a church, like Covington Baptist Church or something. She could have done that. But know what? God wanted her where she was. She got, and she was faithful to him. You know, you might be asking, well, you know, that's just too much. You might be thinking, that's just, that's a rare story. You can't show me too many more of those. Actually, I can. I have a a database in my office on my computer with hundreds of stories like that that I've collected over the years. Um, I can share it to you over and over and over again. There's people all around the world, all around our country, who are giving up their homes and serving on the mission field locally, internationally, around our country, because they felt called to serve Christ. And if you think that's too much... If you're sitting here thinking, if you're one of those people and you're thinking, that's just too much, I want you to think about something. Think about how far Jesus was willing to go for you. How far was Christ willing to go for you? Look at John chapter 12, verses 23 through 26. Jesus, uh, some Greeks came and wanted to talk to Jesus, and so Jesus meets with them, and this is what he says, talking about Jesus' view of his sacrifice. He says, Philip went and told Andrew about the Greeks, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. He's reflecting on his own sacrifice. The one who loves his life will lose it one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life if anyone serves me he must follow me where i am there my servant also will be if anyone serves me the father will honor him now my soul is troubled what should i say father save me from this hour but that is why i came to this hour father glorify your name jesus is putting it in the right perspective He's saying, you know what, if he dies, there's going to be a great crop, and if anybody's going to follow him, we need to be willing to sacrifice. We need to be willing to go and sacrifice like he did. Practically speaking, sacrificing is not a waste of talents or opportunities, but strategically investing in opportunities with the highest rewards. See, we can go and we can sacrifice for a nice pension. We can go sacrifice for a nice big paycheck. Whatever it may be. Whatever it is that's motivating you. Everybody's different. But the highest returns are when we step out and we follow Christ and wherever he goes, and we're going to have the greatest blessings. The missionary Jim Elliott, who went down to South America, says this. He says... He is no fool to lose what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. See, some of you are sacrificing your comfort and your reputation and and your name, and, and you sacrifice these things when you share the love and truth of Christ with your family and with your unchurched neighbors and with your co-workers. Some of you are doing that, and this is what happens when you do that. You will lose some reputation. You will be called a Bible thumper, and when they do that, you say thank you. You will be ostracized because of it. That's okay. Jesus was too. Some of you are, are sacrificing your comfort and reputation by being the pastor to your family. You're ministering to your family, and you're serving God when you serve them. Some of you are losing your comfort because you're being the pastor to your neighbor, and then they move from strangers to those who you serve. Some of you are being the pastor to your co-workers and instead of them being your competitors trying to chase that promotion, they're your congregation instead. By being a pastor to your classmates, they move from being peers to prospects for Christ. See, when I worked at Helzberg Corporation, Helzberg is a jeweler, I was a store manager of a high-end jeweler. I was uh, on the on the way to being um, uh, number one manager of the year a couple times. I was very successful when I did, but you know what? That wasn't th- too important to me. You know what was important is when I was there, I was the minister. I felt I looked at myself as the pastor of that store, and it kind of happened naturally i didn't intend it that way it just kind of happened and then after i matured about it and i realized what was going on i embraced that role and what happened was through those times i've been able to share the gospel with almost everybody that i worked with i hired a homosexual guy and he knew he was you know he, he we both knew we talked about it and he knew that i was a christian that i had a different view and he was gay and and we sat down one time and i said you know what i have no problem with you i just disagree with your lifestyle but I will treat you with respect every single day. And we had a great relationship, and I shared the gospel with him. I shared the gospel with a young lady named Tiffany, who, who for years, she was like my mentor for a few years, and, and I tr- uh, talked to her about the gospel. She would never accept, and then years later, she called my house, and Jenny was able to lead her to Christ. I've shared that story before. She was able to lead her to Christ, and now it's been over 10 years, and she still goes to church. She's still faithful. She loves the Lord because I was able to pastor her at, as a co-worker. Because of sharing the gospel, uh, and because of me ministering to the people at work, my old boss came across me when he was going through a divorce. When he was uh, going through a divorce, guess who he called? Me. I was the only pastor he knew. So he called me and he says, hey man, I need to talk. I'm going through a divorce. And he shared all these things that were going on. And I said, all right, man, let's talk. I said, have you accepted Christ? He said, no. I'm a Catholic. And I said, well, that's, that's okay. Have you accepted Christ? And I would keep going back and forth. And I still have not, he still has not quite committed, but I'm still his pastor. And this happened back in 2007. It's 10 years later or so. I'm still his pastor. He lives in Arizona. He'll call me from time to time, like, hey, how are you doing? And I pray for him every time. And if he's watching the video or listening to me, hey, You know, but he, I ministered to him. Because here's my old boss. He was my boss. And I've been able to share the gospel with him. That is sacrificing. That is serving. I found out that when you sacrifice yourself as God commands, the sacrifice is really never a sacrifice. Do you think I I was, I'm upset for sharing the gospel with those folks? Did I get some pushback? Sure. But you know what? I would rather have those phone calls. I'd rather have those opportunities to share the gospel. I'd rather see my friend Tiffany be in heaven with us someday. It's no sacrifice. The satisfaction in life and eternal rewards are so great that sacrifice pales in comparison. But when you protect yourself, when you focus on yourself and you protect yourself, you're like, oh, I can't do that. I can't. I got to have my house, or I have to, I have, to have these things, or, or I have to have the time to do this other stuff. Then when God commands you to do something, it'll become, it'll feel unreasonable. It'll feel like, no, there's just, there's just no way. This doesn't seem right. It's because we're holding on to stuff. The choice is ours. But if we're gonna move out and live a life on mission as God's church, we must choose a life of sacrifice. And the fifth and final step is that we the church needs to overcome failure. We see this in particular in Onesimus and in Mark. Onesimus is a man who's stigmatized by his past, he's a runaway slave. And so he had the stigma of of of, of being a slave and 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 uh, uh, poor reputation, but that did not stop him. That he didn't look at that and say, "Oh, that makes me disqualified." There's a lot of people that look at their past and they say, "I can't become a preacher because I'm not good enough," or "Look at what I've gone through; I shouldn't be one." Well, let me tell you this: that is hogwash. If God is calling you to preach, preach. God has called you to teach, teach. Let go of the past. Mark was a man who deserted Paul in the earlier missionary journey. Mark didn't allow his past mistake to disqualify him from serving God. He didn't let that. Look at Peter, how he denied Jesus three times. Look at David and Bathsheba. I mean, that story alone, you scratch your hand, you think that guy should not be qualified. The dude looked at a wife wife of another guy and then sent her husband to go get killed so he can have her. Imagine if that happened today. That's messed up. But yet God used him. Noah, getting drunk and naked. Not my Noah. Another Noah on the ark. Okay? (laughs) Getting drunk and naked and back to a fool of himself. And yet God used him. You can go on and on. You know the great thing about the Bible. One of the wonderful things I love about the Bible is this: as you read the stories, you read through the characters. On this, they are the most dysfunctional, jacked up people you can think of, and yet God uses them and tells them that they're that He loves them and is giving them opportunity to serve. That is one of the greatest blessings outside of Christ in the Bible. All of us have things, but God allows or uses us i'm not the pastor because i'm i have a perfect past or a perfect presence there's things in my life that i've done that i'm ashamed of but you know what the day i accepted christ that is no longer an issue there's things that i've done that i would not share with you because but you know what that doesn't matter because god has forgiven me it doesn't matter anymore I've made my share of mistakes. There's things, believe it or not, I've put my foot in my mouth here in the pulpit. I know it's shocking, but I've said things that maybe I should have not said. I know, it's strange, but it happens. But you know what? I get up every Sunday, and and throughout the week, I prepare a message. And every week, I give it 20, 30 hours a week, thinking about the message, concentrating on the message, preparing the message, preaching the message to myself. It doesn't stop me just because I put my foot in my mouth one Sunday or I make a mistake or I can't say a certain name or I, or I screw up something. That's not going to stop me because I'm called by God and I'm going to go and do whatever I can for God. I'm convinced our church try to try new things and we're trying all these new things. We've changed in the past eight months, nine months. I'm coming up on a year here and I'm going to preach a revival message again on my, around my one-year anniversary and... And we've done a lot. And there's some things that worked great, but there's also some things that we didn't get the fruit that we hoped for. Does that mean that we're not going to try new things? Does that mean we're not going to go out into the community? No. We're going to continue going. We're still going to look at new ideas. We're still going to try new things. It happens. See, the only people who don't make mistakes, hear me now, the only people that don't make the mistakes are those who never do anything. Those are the people that don't make mistakes. Let's learn from our mistakes. Let's learn from our failures. Let's not let fear keep us from making mistakes and keep us from serving God. We can be forgiven. We are forgiven from our past and our present and our future mistakes. And we are useful to God. Overcoming failure requires that we know failure is not fatal. And that we focus on our ministry rather than our mistakes. When you make a mistake, don't worry about the mistake. Move on. Correct it, move on. Focus on the ministry. Focus on how you're serving and how you're following God because that's what's important. We all make mistakes. If you focus on the ministry, serving God by serving people, you will not allow the fear of failure to keep you from being used by God. Leighton Ford says this. He says there are two dangers that the church must avoid. Two dangers that the church must avoid. Isolation from the world and imitation of the world. Isolation from the world and imitation of the world. If God's church moves out, we will never be in danger of isolation from the world. If we live a life on mission, we'll never worry about being isolated from the world. But if we don't move out, we'll be in danger of both. It is our mission, your mission. It's the mission you were made for: was to live a life on mission, serving Christ and going out with the gospel, and making disciples. Point others to Christ. Point others to Christ. So your mission involves five steps: pray fervently, step out, serve God, sacrifice, and overcome failure. You do those five steps, and you apply those in everyday life in your ministry. You will start serving God, and you will see the blessings from that on a regular basis. It's not mission impossible. You can do that. You're not on your own. Christ started this mission, and when we seek him, he will be there partnering with us in this mission. We are made for this mission. Now, there are plenty of opportunities to live a life on mission. This One thing we did not announce in announcements that I wanted to announce now is that this this Wednesday at 6 o'clock, actually we'll make it 6.30 because of choir practice. Um, At 6.30, there is an outreach meeting. And what the outreach meeting is is if you want to get involved in the ministry of going out to the community and all of you can do something, all of you can do something, come to this meeting. I have some plans in the work, some things that we're going to do and I would like to do, and we need to start strategizing those. And we can do it, it's not an issue. But I need your help. I need you to step in and do missions. You need to be a mission focused church. And the only way we can succeed in growing people toward Christ and bringing more people to Christ is if we step out of these walls and get out in the mission field. So come to that meeting. Come to that meeting. If you can't make it, send a spouse or something. Come to the meeting. Next week, I'll have, starting next week on the back of the bulletin, I'm going to have ministry opportunities for you. And they'll be listed there. Every week, there'll be mission, or opportunities for you to serve. We've got a lot of stuff going on. We've got small groups going on. We have Bible studies going on. We have different areas. I need people with IT experience. I need, uh, we need people to help do some labor work around here. But work parties coming up with some work to do. There's things to do. We can do this, but we have to work together so we can join forces and go out and make an impact. When I came here and preached about the revival, I said, imagine if we work together and what kind of impact we can make on this community. We can't do that without us working together. We have to do that. We have to get a life on mission. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for everybody here and their faithfulness week in and week out. And Father God, I know they love you and they have a a, a wonderful relationship with you. And we just want, as a church, as a body of Christ, we want to go out and be on mission for you, Lord. So I ask you to work in everybody's life here. I ask the Holy Spirit to guide each and every person and reveal to them what it is you'd have them do. Where do you want them to serve? Make it clear, Lord. Put it on their heart. Make it clear as day. Guide them, Lord, so we can get out to the community and share the gospel often as we can. Father God, thank you so much for this wonderful day of worship and this wonderful day together. And thank you for having the privi- giving us the privilege to be able to speak to the you, the creator, anytime we want. We love you, Lord, and we accept your mission.